Good morning to you. It is good to be back. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a few months. And, uh, you know, this year we have lost some people, haven't we? Which is why my topic is immortality. I lost a sister, lost a nephew, lost a father. You've lost a father. Who's a sister, others, friends, siblings, parents. But it's real, isn't it? Death, death is real. And death is an enemy. But the good word says there's a resurrection of the dead. And that's what we want to focus on. But not everybody believes that. There's some different concepts out there. And I want us to talk about it. Because what... What we are, what is man? And what happens when we die is very important as we head into last day events. It's very important to know the nature of man because that determines what you understand to be the destiny of humanity. And so this is going to be a several-part sermon on one of the most important topics in the Bible, which is isn't just about immortality, it's about the resurrection, it's about our hope and, um, and God's reward for those who believe. And it will protect us against error yes. and against deception. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we're just very thankful that death is not the final word. You are the sovereign of the universe. And in Jesus' hands, he holds the keys of heaven and hell and is able to unlock those graves that the saints may receive eternal life. This is a hope that we're to encourage one another with, that there's more to this temporal life. There is the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for that supreme gift of which we place our hope. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're going to look at um, the word immortality mostly today. And you have a song, It Is Well With My Soul, yes. which seems a little providential because we're going to talk about what a living soul is. What is a soul? Uh, were we given a soul or are we a soul? And the word soul in the Bible is also the word for person. We are a person. God didn't put a person in me. I am a soul. I am a person. I am a living soul. And we're going to study that today. I want to introduce you to a couple Greek words. There's the word athanasia, which means not being subject to death. To death. That's part of the Yeah, I think so. One, two? Oh, okay. Sorry about that. So we're going to talk about immortality, a couple Greek words, athanasia, not being subject to death. And as we heard the scripture reading, it says only God hath athanasia. God is the only one in the universe that death cannot touch. We've had a number of funerals because we know that death does touch the human family. 
But we have a promise of receiving an, an immortal, incorruptible what? Body. Yes. But God alone hath. Immortality is innate with him. To us, immortality is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. I don't own it, but I can receive it. Okay? There's a big difference. In fact, someone would have to have immortality. Where it was innate, otherwise there could never be a universe. Someone has to be beyond space and time to create space and time. You know, when you, even when you look at our, our own solar system, almost everything is non-living. There's no life on our moon. There's no life on Mars or Venus and certainly not the sun. And you think about all the moons that different planets have, even Pluto, right? There's, and even in our little world, where is life? It's just on the surface. Right? Most of our little world is made up of non-living things. Crystals, minerals, things like that. They have no cellular structure. They can't, rocks can't have babies. Somebody had to create all the non-living stuff. Someone has to be beyond the need of any outside support. Someone who hath life immortal. Beyond space time is not dependent on anything. Did you eat breakfast today? Do you need something to eat? See, you and I are dependent upon things that God made. Water, oxygen, a place to be in this, this perfect environment. He created all that because he hath immortality. And is never and never will be subject to or threatened by death. Lucifer was the greatest created being. Is he subject to death? Absolutely. Everybody in this world, every created being, every life, every animal is all subject. And we have life eternal that is conditional. Based upon what? Our obedience. Our relationship with God. We have a saving relationship with God. And in that saving relationship, we make a choice to do what he who alone hath immortality says. That's how we live forever, because we choose to be like him. God created the universe that way, and he did it so that there's stability. So that there would be love and peace for eternity. It's a good thing that God did. There is another word, um, atharisia, which means incorruptible. Um, and these two words, and what's interesting is the word immortal or immortality never occurs in the Old Testament. And we'll look at that here in a little bit here. Uh, but it is in the New Testament, and these are all the verses in the Bible where you find the word immortality. That's not very many. Now, the idea of immortality is there, right? We'll cover that a little bit. But let's look through these verses. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life. You see, we don't, aren't innate with immortality, right? But we're seeking for it. How many here want to live forever? Okay. 
Did you wake up this morning feeling immortal? No, every year I get a birthday and I'm feeling, boy, I sure am mortal, you know. But there's a promise of immortality. That's the beautiful thing. There is a promise of immortality. And everybody who wants to live forever needs to what? You need to seek for it. You need to seek for it. And it can't just be, I desire to live forever. There are conditions that God has set for, and that all these conditions are through, let's read the next verse, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal uh, must put on immortality. And all these two verses are saying is that currently you and I are not what? We're not immortal. But most of the world believes that there's a part of us that is. Is that right? There's a, most people in the world believe there's a part of us that already is immortal. But the Bible says, seek for it because you don't currently have it. But there's a day coming when this mortal will, in the future, put on immortality. And that's God's promise. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, so when this corruptible, that'd be you and I in our current state, shall put on incorruption, a new body. Does that sound good? No more pain, no more disease, free of disease, an incorruptible body. And this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then future shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Right now, it seems as if death has the last word. Because everybody who's lived and died is still still in the grave. And they're held there. But Paul says... If Christ be not raised, then our faith, it's in vain. Then there is no hope of immortality for us. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am alive. I was dead. In the tomb three days, but now I'm alive. And I have the keys and I can unlock those graves. I'm not going to unlock it right now, but I will when I I come back. When I come back. And so you and I seek immortality, and we shall, in the future, in the very near future, receive immortality. But in 2 Timothy 1.10, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How do you obtain immortality? Where do you get it from? What's the verse say? It's through Christ. You can't get immortality through Buddha. Yes. You know, there, there, there is no empty tomb with Buddha or empty tomb with Muhammad. But there is an empty tomb with Jesus. Yes. Yes. And the grave cannot hold Jesus. Yes. And because the grave cannot hold him and he destroyed death through his resurrection, he can promise life to everyone who believes. And I don't mean just believe that Jesus existed. I mean to have the faith of Jesus. To choose to believe what he believed, to choose to live, see people, treat people just like Jesus, which is possible because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does a perfect work. The Holy Spirit is fully capable of transforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't happen, it's because I'm not cooperating with him. It'll be my own fault. Because the Holy Spirit is fully capable 
of transforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. Who alone, and here's the fifth, or I guess what? Yeah, the fifth five times is the only time you're going to find this word immortal or immortality. Who alone, God, who alone hath immortality, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. If God only hath immortality, then currently I do not. But I can receive it through Christ. Let's continue. Now, because the Old Testament doesn't use the word immortal or immortality, does it mean that it's not expressed in different ways? For example, there's the tree of life. And what did it say about the tree of life? God put an angel, prevented Adam and Eve from partaking of the tree of life after they sinned so that they wouldn't what? Live forever. But to live forever means that you have eternal life. You could live forever. And the tree of life was a reminder to Adam and Eve that they do not possess immortality innately. That even them, in their perfect environment and in their perfect bodies, were still dependent upon him who only hath immortality. Is that right? And so that was a reminder that they had a dependence upon the creator who sustains everything. There was a purpose for the tree of life. I suppose God could have created us in a way where we didn't need to eat of the tree. But God chose to create a tree that even they in their perfect environment and body before sin still needed to learn the lesson that life, even the life they had, was dependent upon the one who alone hath immortality. Okay? We know that Enoch walked with God, and that teaches us something, because God just took him for how long? Yeah, as long as Christ carries through with the plan, dies and is resurrected, Enoch's going to live forever and never see death. But that is not using the word immortality, but it is an expression. We could bring up another Old Testament character. Who would it be? Elijah. And, and Moses, too, because he was resurrected. All these were hope to those who believed, who wondered, what happened to my loved one who died who was a believer? Will they live again? People have wondered about that from the very beginning of death. Will they live again? Because people don't want to die. They don't want to say goodbye. They want to live. And so God gives us this evidence that, yeah, you can live forever. But it's only through. It's only through Christ, right? Uh, notice this verse in Psalm 49, 15. But God will redeem what? He will redeem, and we're going to look at a Hebrew word here, nephish, soul, from the power of the grave. My soul, but some people believe my soul goes immediately to heaven or hell. But the Bible says your soul goes to the grave. Because you are a soul. You are a person. Your nephesh goes to the grave, but there's this promise that he'll receive me. Yes. I'll go to the grave, but it's not the last thing that happens. It's not the end of my existence if I believe. Yes. I'll go to the grave, but God will be able to call me forth because he is that life that's eternal. Amen. He is immortal. He can give life just like he gave life to Adam and Eve 
who never existed, and all of a sudden he just creates them from the dust of the ground, and God can do the same thing all over again, right? Okay? We have the expression of immortality in Isaiah 66, um, where he talks about a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll be able to plant our own vineyards and eat from them, but that's talking about people who've already died, who will live again and have a whole. Jesus talked about it. These are some beautiful verses. John, let's look at this up. John 13, 33. John 13, 33. Where Jesus makes a very important statement that it goes counter to most of what people believe. Most people believe that when you die, you go to heaven or hell right away or possibly a... A purgatory. Okay? But notice what Jesus says here in John 13, 33 to his disciples. You little children, yet a little while I'm with you. Because he's talking about it, he's going to be crucified, right? You, you shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Okay? Jesus is saying to those who are believing that they can't go where he's going. Where's Jesus going to go? Well, if they can't go right now where he's going, then that means they weren't going to heaven and hell right away when they died. You see my point? But he says you will. Notice what he says in the next chapter, chapter 14, verse 3. He says he's going to prepare a place for us. And if I go where you can't go now, I'll prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, which will be heaven then, there you may be also. He is promising immortality, but you don't have it now. You don't have an immortal soul right now that goes to heaven or hell right away because where Christ is going to heaven when he dies, we can't go right now. But there's a promise that we will be able to go. Okay? All right. Let's go to our next slide here. So let's look at those verses again. Who only hath immortality which dwells in an in, uh, approachable, no man can approach unto. So immortality is innate with God. For us, immortality, again, is a gift from the immortal one. And look at these verses again. To them who, by patient continuance and well-doing, we seek for glory and honor, and we seek for immortality, which, comma, is the same as eternal life. Okay? But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. He's conquered death. Death doesn't have the last word. And has brought life. What kind of life? Life. Eternal life and immortality to light through the gospel. Eternal life and immortality, or sometimes it's translated incorruption. We live in a, in a corruptible world right now. I've got a corruptible body. But God, through Jesus Christ, I will receive eternal life and immortality or incorruption. We won't have to suffer again in these bodies. But we were designed for a body. We, we are part of who we are as a body, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and that's the second coming, right? And the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed for this corruptible, 
must put on future incorruption, and this mortal must future put on immortality. So when this corrupter shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then, not before, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Right now, it seems like death is conquered. But we know that the sovereign of the universe, if he makes a promise, he's going to keep it. If there's anyone you can believe in the universe, it's going to be God. And if he said he's conquered death, and if you believe in him, and he'll give you life eternal, you can count on that. You just look, well, how do I get there, Lord? What are the conditions? Okay. So, I'm going to call what the Bible teaches biblical holism. We are a whole person. Part of who you are, and an important part of who you are, is the physical. Part of who you are is the mental and the spiritual. How do I clap my hands for joy in the Lord? With my body. But what if I didn't have a body? How would I be able to clap my hands for the Lord if I didn't have a body? Well, I couldn't. Through the body, God designed us to give expression of our faith in him, our joy in the Lord. I forget, I remember preaching about that, how many different facial expressions we can make. It's like 14,000 facial expressions. But God made us with all these different muscles and this, this perfect, so that we can give expression to our love for God. We manifest our joy to God through this body. It's a part of who we are. The body's not negative. The body's not a prison house of the soul, which many teach. It's part of how we give praise to God with our voice, our vocal cords. It's how we give expression. It's all part of who we are. The Bible looks at us as a whole person, body, mental, spiritual. So when we die, what happens to our body? It decays. What about our breath? It's gone. We stop breathing. God gave breath. But when we stop breathing, that's gone in our thoughts. And there's no more praise of God in that condition. Because to praise God, you need a body and you need breath and you need blood. And that blood needs to flow because your heart needs to be pumping and the heart needs to be functioning so the brain can be working because if none of that's working, there's no thoughts. There's no feelings. But we were created to worship God, created to have our joy in God. We were created to have a physical body of which God says, I'm going to give you a new one. But in this life, you've got this mortal body, but you can still have the faith of Jesus in this mortal body. And if you're faithful unto death in this mortal body, I'm going to give you a new one that is immortal and incorruptible. That won't be subject. You will live forever. That's God's promise. And at the resurrection, what's God going to give us? A new body. 
Okay? He's going to give us a new body because we belong in this body. I'm going to use another word. It's called dualism. So what the Bible teaches is biblical holism. We're a whole person. But most of the world believes in dualism. They believe you are physical, and there's a part of you that's spiritual that's separate from the physical. That can exist when the physical dies. The spiritual continues on. And that part is what they call an immortal soul. That instead of you being a whole person, physical, mental, spiritual, they say you're physical and you're spiritual and the spiritual part's immortal, but the body's going to die. So at death, you don't really die. It's just now the spirit or that immortal soul is freed from the body. Almost as if the body were a bad thing. But when I read the Genesis account, is the body bad? No, everything that God made was, was actually very good. Let's go on. But let me go back to that. 71% of Americans believe, it's probably higher now, believe in this dualism. That's more people than read the Bible. Right? Because this concept of dualism actually didn't start in Christianity. It started way before that. It actually started with a statement by Satan before the first gospel call was made. In Genesis 3, the devil says, you shall not surely die. After God says, you would die. And it's not until Genesis 3.15 that we have the promise of a plan of salvation. So there was a lie being spread by Lucifer before we ever heard the first gospel sermon. That's how old this is. But God is right. We do die. The whole person dies. I want us to notice the emphasis. This is so beautiful. And we'll, we'll talk more, way more about the resurrection probably in the next sermon. We're just going to touch on it now. But the resurrection meant everything to the people in the first century especially. The persecution of the early church. All those martyrs. All the martyrs. The Roman Colosseum. All this. They're all dying. And they're writing to Paul, asking Paul, what's going to happen? Is there a hope? There is hope. They shall live again. The dead in Christ shall rise. Right? And there's this hope and there's this repeated theme. See, especially in the New Testament, and it's there in the Old Testament. It's very strong. But one of the most popular topics in the entire Bible, especially the New Testament, is the resurrection. You will live again. Not when you supposedly die, when the body dies. But when you as a person die, there's hope. You will live again. It's called the resurrection. Now notice something. This is just a a, a drop in a bucket looking for that, what what do we call it even? The blessed hope. The blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God gave us a name. I want you to think about how important the concept of the resurrection and the coming of the Lord is. God has a last day church called... 
the Seventh-day Adventist Church, in our name itself, is the emphasis of this theme. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. And so you get here and look at this smattering hymn. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. Matthew 24, 30. Uh, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Matthew 25, 31. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, 7. Behold, he comes with clouds. Jesus is coming again. He's coming. He's coming. Isn't this what we were raised up for? Because in most churches that have this dualistic concept that you die, or I mean, when you die, you actually don't die, you go to heaven or hell right away, guess what they don't preach very much? The second coming. Why would they need to preach the second coming? It wouldn't matter. They're going to heaven or hell right away anyway. You know what else they don't preach? The judgment. Why would you have to preach a judgment message? If people are going to heaven or hell right away, there is no judgment going on right now. You see, it affects almost every doctrine. In the Bible, what you believe about who we are. What is man? Is he material with a separate immortal soul? Or are we a soul? Physical, mental, spiritual. And we're awaiting the resurrection of which God promised that he would return. And so you and I have been raised up to preach about the soon return of Jesus Christ. And at that return, he will call forth all the living saints and they will come out of those dusty graves with what? New bodies and have eternal life. That's when it all happens. We were raised to preach this because most of the rest of Christianity preaches dualism, which came from Aristotle and Plato and... It's Greek mythology. Okay? They had an eye. Dualism is this concept that the material is bad and the spiritual is good. And you got a body and death is really just escaping this prison house. But, you know, the emphasis, think about the Bible. Jesus is coming again, coming again. But where do you believe, find in the Bible any emphasis at all? Oh, we're just going up when we die. Where do you find this? You don't find it in a pair. You don't, just don't find these things. The emphasis is Christ is coming back, not that I die and I go up. I go up because he came back. I get to come to go to heaven because he returned. Human nature, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Are we an inseparable, complete whole with a physical, mental, spiritual nature? Yes. Or do we have two separate natures, one that is physical or material, and one that is immortal and spiritual? You see, that's, that's, that's the argument. One of these is true. The Bible teaches one of these, not both of them. It teaches one of them. I want us to think about the creation story because, um, and God saw light and it was what? Okay, he saw light was good. God called the dry land earth and gathered the waters and the seas. And he called it, uh, they called it, called he seas. And God saw that it was, it was good. And God creates man in his image and everything he saw was very good. And a lot of the other translations, and this to me is important in Genesis 1.26. It doesn't read that way in verse 26 in the King James. And God saw everything he made was good. But in most of the modern translations, after... He creates 
light and and water separates the waters and he creates dry land and all the vegetation and and then then you get to verse 26 and you get this word then as if something special is going to happen I made all these things and then I created man because all these things were made for humanity to take care of to make us a special creation we are a special creation of God and God said let us make man in our image I want us to think about what does it mean to be in God's image you know the Bible never mentions immortality connects with the image of God and you'll never find the word immortality which only occurs what five times with the word soul right we're to seek immortality but only god hath immortality you'll never find the word immortality and soul together in the bible and immortality only is five times in the bible anyway and we looked at all five passages and you'll never find the word immortality connected with a description of us being created in god's image okay so and why should it if only God hath immortality, what else does God have that nobody else has? It's up there. Omniscience. What's that? He knows everything. There's nothing God doesn't know. Now, I tell you, this would be a bad day for us if God says, you know, I was studying gravity, and there was something I never, I didn't see this before. See, that's a bad day for us. I didn't see that one coming. No. God already knows everything. There's nothing he doesn't know. God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. He could not be more powerful. He is so powerful that he holds the whole universe together, which we know very little of. That's a lot of power. This is an attribute only that belongs to God. He is omnipresent can you imagine that ability to be to know everything that's going on everywhere to know the hairs on my head and the hairs on somebody else's head in another galaxy on another planet how's that possible he's god yes so why would this to me is a logical question of all those attributes of only which God has. Would you agree? Yes. Why would he give me immortality innately? Where I could never be subject to death. Couldn't he just as easily give me omniscience? Couldn't he just as easily give me the ability to know everything? Now wouldn't that be scary? <laughs> or all power. But he never gives us these attributes that only he has. So being created in God's image has nothing to do with us obtaining things, attributes that only God could have. But it still must mean something, right? We're created in God's image, not because we innately have immortality. It's a gift. Or know everything, or all-powerful, or ever-present. Let's look at some scriptures here. But... uh, we are made in God's image to reflect his thoughts and feelings. 
That's what it means. The animals, we'll see here, are also called a living soul. They're also called, we'll see that, I think, in the next slide. They are a nephish kaya, living soul. Use the same, exact same terminology as living soul. But they're not created in God's image. A squirrel was not created to reflect God's thoughts and feelings. You and I were. That's what makes us different. It's not that animals aren't living souls. It's just that they weren't created to reflect God's thoughts and feelings as we are. Look at Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Does that verse tell us why we were created? What it means to be in God's image is to, to know him. Look at the next verse. And that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. What does it mean to be created in God's image but to be righteous and holy? So to me, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to be recreated in the image of Jesus Christ means that on a daily basis, I'm becoming more like him, which means I'm becoming more holy and more righteous, thinking right thoughts, doing right things, because that's what I was actually created for. That's what it means to be created in God's image. And Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Did we obtain a living soul or did we become a living soul? We became a living soul. We are a living soul. Let's look at the Greek word there, nephesh chaya. And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want you to notice how the King James here, and most modern translations do the exact same thing. But look at Genesis 1, 21, 24, and throughout that whole creation account and beyond. And God created great whales and every living... They use creature instead of soul, but look at it. It's the exact same Hebrew. It's the exact same Hebrew words. God said, let the earth bring forth the living. You know why they did that? Because the translators believed in the immortality of the soul. They believed so strongly in this that they would say things like, well, when Jesus talked to the thief on the cross, he said, I tell you this, today you're going to be with me in heaven. But Jesus didn't really say that. Jesus, I tell you this today, why I'm hanging on the cross that I can still promise you eternal life. Isn't it amazing that the thief on the cross is the one who believed while Jesus is hanging on the cross and the others had scattered? I mean, what faith? Isn't that amazing? What faith to believe that Jesus is the promised one while Jesus is hanging on a cross and the others were a far way off. The thief probably didn't even die that day. Most people got crucified, lived for two or three days. And we know that Jesus didn't go to heaven that day because he appears to Mary Sunday morning saying that he happened what? He hasn't yet appeared to his father. So Jesus is saying, look, I haven't gone to heaven yet either. He didn't go Friday to heaven. Jesus died. And we'll talk about in the next sermon The sacrifice in the sanctuary proves that Jesus, he died. 
Because that little William that represented him, it died. It so much died that they put it on an altar and it was consumed. It so much died that he took their blood and they smeared it, signifying this sacrifice is not alive anymore. It gave up its life for you. Jesus died, friends. He gave up his life. That's what the sanctuary teaches us. That there is death. And it's real. But the one who dies, dies in your place. So you can live again. That's what it teaches us, too. Those verses should have said, And God created great whales in every living soul. And God said, let the earth bring forth every living soul. Because an animal is also a living soul. Because animals have breath and they have blood. But he never said, let there be living soul trees. He never said, let there be living soul grass. Because grass doesn't have breath and it doesn't have blood. Grass cannot think. And it cannot feel. But animals can. That's why they're a living soul. That's what we share with the animal kingdom. What separates us from the animals is that we were created in God's image, which means that you and I can become like him in thoughts and feelings more and more every day, but the horse cannot. Genesis doesn't apply living soul to the trees or the grass. Living souls have a respiratory system. That's what God breathed into them, a respiratory system, which trees don't have like we have. They have photosynthesis. They don't have lungs. We are alive and the animals are alive. Therefore, in the Bible, living souls, and there's so many other examples in the Bible where animals are called Nefesh Kaya, just like we are. But for many people in other churches, God created man of the dust of the ground, breathed in his, his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living soul. And they interpret that as he became an immortal soul with a body. We're just a living soul. And when we lose our breath, we're a dead soul. We'll talk more about that in an upcoming sermon. Notice this verse. The soul is used. We'll talk more about this in other sermons. Soul, nephesh, is sometimes used to talk about our emotions. We, we are an emotional being, but to have emotions, you've got to have a body. You've got to have a brain. Okay? God made us a certain way. But sometimes it talks about us as a helpless human agent. Deliver my soul from the wicked. What's he saying? His life's in danger, isn't it? He's on the run. Because somebody wants to kill him, and if they kill him physically, he knows that he's what? He's dead. Protect me. Protect my nephesh. Protect my soul from dying. I've got people who want to kill me. And all her people sighed. They took bread. They had given their pleasant things for me to relieve the soul. In dualism, when people believe there's a body and separate from the body is this immortal soul, how many of them believe that the soul eats food. Well, they don't, but then they need to be reading these verses. 
Because this verse tells you that the soul eats food. Because you, you and I as a soul, as a person, what do we do? We eat food. To be a living soul. And it's, I forget how, there's like hundreds and hundreds of verses in the Bible using this word nephish. And it's never immortal. It's a person. It's a person. All matter came from God and was said to be good or very good. So we're almost done here. The creation account does not say that God created man of some supernatural spiritual substance. Where did you and I come from? The dust. We came from the 128 or whatever elements that encompass our world. That's all in the periodic chart. We are not made of some substance that comes from another world or some supernatural substance. And that's okay. You know, I'm mostly made up of six things. Carbon, oxygen. You know, is that okay? Isn't it amazing that God could just take simple things like that and form a human body? He can do that. And that's okay. You know, what's amazing about this human, it's so complex, not just mostly 99% six things. And every human cell, and they're awfully small. You need a, tele- you need a microscope to see these things. There's 42 million protein molecules. How do you fit 42 million of anything in a cell? You understand what I'm saying? 42 million. Tokyo has 42 million people. I think it's the most populous city. But in a cell, in every cell, 42 million protein molecules And every molecule knows exactly what it's supposed to do, when to do it, and where to do it. Can you say that about Tokyo? Can you say that about Los Angeles? Is everybody doing what they're supposed to be doing? When they're supposed to do it? In your cells, this is happening. And these protein molecules are actually communicating. They don't write. They don't talk. They communicate by shape. How do they do that? They don't have an individual brain. God created it that way. Imagine the genius of God in creating the the human body. We are wonderfully made. And just because we're made of the dust of the earth doesn't mean we're not wonderfully made. And we belong in a human body. But we look for a new one. And that God promises at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve did not sin because they had a body. You see, in dualism, the bodies normally looked as being somewhat evil, like a prison house. But is the body bad? When Adam and Eve had a body, was it bad? No, it was amazing. And I can tell you right now, you're going to like your new body. You're going to like your incorruptible body. And you're going to praise God for it. And we should praise him even now for the planet we live on right now. There's still around us the evidence of a loving God. And every flower, everything that buds, every, everything around us tells us that God is love. If we just look for it. And not have this dualism and say, oh, material things are bad, spirit is good. No, everything God made is good. Everything he made is good. 
The reason Adam and Eve sinned wasn't because they had a body. It was by a thought. Something, some thought, where they were deceived, Eve was deceived to think that she could become like, like God. That's a mind thing. That's not a body thing. Right? With her body, she ate the forbidden fruit. Through the body. But it wasn't the body's fault. It was her thoughts. She was deceived. So the body is good. This is why God has raised up the Adventist church, not just to save souls. And I want to be careful with that. We do want souls saved. But we're trying to help the whole person. Which is why we're raised up to have education. To help develop the mind. We're raised up to do medical missionary work. Where we support 80% of the medical missionaries around the world. We raise up schools. We raise up hospitals. We're in more countries than any other church in the world. Even the Catholic Church. Because we invest in the whole person. And God opens those doors for us. Because he cares about the whole person. Right? So summary, the Bible defines human nature from a holistic viewpoint, consistent of an indivisible unity of spiritual or physical, mental, spiritual. I can rejoice, as I talked about later or before, clap my hands through my body. My two hemispheres and my brain can't clap. I wouldn't want them to clap. That would be having a stroke, right? <laughs> I have to have a body to demonstrate my love for God. And that's why we will get a new body for eternity, that through that body, we will be able to express what's in the heart and what's in the mind. So, last slide. Biblical holism is one's faith in the future resurrection, when we shall receive new incorruptible bodies free of disease. And then there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All that will be passed away. This, we were partly raised up to tell people about the true nature of humanity, how to take care of it, because the devil's trying to destroy the human body so that people can't make right decisions. There's so much more drugs. I, you know, I work in the prison. Most of those guys there, it's drug-related. We had an episode recently there. The devil is... Got a game plan to destroy you physically because he understands the interconnection. He knows you don't have an immortal soul. It's a lie. He knows you're a whole person. And if he can destroy you physically, he knows he's going to get you to have wrong thoughts and make wrong decisions or make you incapable of making right decisions. And the reason we take an interest in people physically is to put them in a better position to make better decisions in the end of time. Praise God that he cares about all of us. Before we have our closing prayer, we have a closing hymn. And our closing hymn.